Our first reading is from the first letter of John, chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with us with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The word of the Lord. Well, you've been enjoying a, a great sermon series on the first letter of John. And I've been listening to, to them with you online, of course, uh, and enjoying them very much. And I know you've been blessed by them as well. And I noticed that the first sermon in the series started at chapter 1, verse 5. And so I thought I might double back and look at those first four verses of John's letter that we heard read this morning. In those introductory words, the Apostle John explains what he's going to write about and that it comes out of his firsthand experience. He says he's writing about Jesus, whom he calls the Word of Life. He says he's sharing truth about eternal life, eternal life which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands. He says he's proclaiming what he's personally encountered and experienced and knows to be true. Now, biblically faithful Christians certainly understand that we should tell others about Jesus, but so many believers, at least in America, so many believers have very little sense of urgency about that. Frankly, the word evangelism scares a lot of folks off, even though it's simply the Greek word for, for gospel. Evangelism means good news, but it sure carries a lot of baggage. <laughs> a lot of us have some pretty negative experiences on the receiving end of someone else's insensitive evangelistic barrage. And even the idea of evangelism is a pretty touchy subject for some of us. I was once asked to speak at a church about the E word. <laughs> oh my. But our negative experiences should make us all the more concerned to get this right. To be a helpful bridge for others to come and explore a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Those of us who've been handled insensitively can be all the more effective because we know how important it is to reach out to others with love and gentleness and respect. More than 30 years ago, I heard the great Anglican theologian Michael Green speak about biblical motives for evangelism. Why does scripture tell us to share our faith. Well, his address really ignited in me a new passion for the proclamation of the gospel. His words changed me and changed my ministry. And over the years in my own reading of scripture, I've tried to build on the points that Michael Green 
offered that day, and I now, I now have nine biblical reasons to share our faith in Jesus. Be at peace, brothers. It will be brief. <laughs> but as you'll see, two of them are found in these opening verses from the first letter of John. And so I want to look at these biblical motives, the, the scriptural foundation for why you and I should share our faith in Christ as we go about our daily lives. And then I want to offer a couple of practical tips about how to do it lovingly and sensitively. So here we go. Why share our faith in Jesus? Number one, we should share Jesus because of the need of others. The need of others. Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. One of my favorite descriptions of the human condition, Ernest Hemingway recounts the story of a father and his teenage son who had a relationship that had become strained to the breaking point until one day the son ran away from home. His father began a journey in search of this estranged son. And finally in Madrid, in one last desperate effort to find him, the father put an ad in the newspaper. The ad read, Dear Paco, Meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. The next day at noon in front of the newspaper office, 800 guys named Paco showed up. (laughs) The brokenness around us is so great. A North African has said the most grievous crime in the desert is to know where to find water and not to tell another person. It is the greatest selfishness to know where to find the living water of God's grace and mercy and not to tell another. We must share the forgiveness and healing we are finding in Jesus because the need is so great. Number two. We should share Jesus with others because of our love for them. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. This congregation is a loving church, but it's not enough for us to love each other. We have to love those who are not yet a part of the church, the lost and broken ones for whom Jesus also died. And as we heard in that reading from 1 John 1, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. We reach out so that others can be drawn in And have a relationship with us. And that most especially includes those who seem far from the kingdom of God. Or who are uninterested or even hostile to the things of God. The church I served for many years as rector is in Dale City. 
where people spend ridiculously long hours commuting up and down 95. And because of the HOV lanes, people share rides in carpools and vanpools, sometimes with complete strangers, whom as you probably know are lovingly called slugs. <laughs> well, in urging our parishioners to share their faith in daily life, we'd often talk about sharing our faith in the carpool or the vanpool. After all, if you're locked in this tin can for two or three hours a day, what a great opportunity to talk about something that matters. Well, one Sunday morning, a guy in our congregation came to me at coffee hour and said, I have a confession to make. Well, he didn't normally talk that way, so I was intrigued. And he said, well, you know how we talk about sharing our faith in the van on the way to work? Um, He said, well, I don't have that kind of van. We don't talk about things like that. Those guys are not interested in God, and so I have never talked about my faith in the van. And then he got quiet and said, but there's a guy here from my van pool at church today and I had nothing to do with it. Don't ever write someone off as uninterested in the things of God. Don't decide for someone else that they don't want to hear about Christ so I don't need to waste my time telling them Pour out your heart for them in prayer, and the Lord will bring you to see and love them the way he does. We share Jesus with others because of our love for them. Number three, we should share Jesus with others because of the command of Jesus. The Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28 contains Jesus' final words to his followers, and so they're, uh, they're of the greatest importance. Go and make disciples of all nations. This Anglican movement that we're privileged to be a part of is not a refuge, not a retreat, not a sanctuary. It's a mission base. It is a glorious thing to be saved by the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But please don't misunderstand me when I say it is not enough to be saved. We've been entrusted with the gospel so that we can share it. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And then Paul adds the kicker. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. If you know the love and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, then you've been entrusted with the incomparable treasure of the gospel. You're a steward of the message of salvation. And just as one day we'll be called to account before God for how we've handled our money, so we will be called to account for how we've handled the gospel. Did we hoard it? Did we hide it away thinking it was somehow ours to keep? Or did we share it? Do we introduce our friends to our friend Jesus? Freely you have received, Jesus said. Freely give. Share the good news. Nothing is more important than this command. If for no other reason than Jesus told you to do it, do it. Number four. 
We should share Jesus with others because of the sheer joy of telling them. Here's another motive from our reading this morning. 1 John chapter 1. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Our experience of Jesus should bubble up out of us. The former Archbishop of Canterbury, George Carey, swears that in a church near Cambridge, there is a plaque that reads, to the glory of God and in the memory of Reverend so-and-so, who ministered faithfully for 38 years in this parish without the slightest trace of enthusiasm. (laughs) But our joy should be contagious. And sharing Jesus with others should give us even more joy. And if you've ever had the privilege of leading someone to Christ, you know the incomparable blessing that that is. We share Jesus for the sheer joy of it. Number five, we should share Jesus with others because of the love of Christ in us. 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. In a Dennis the Menace cartoon, Dennis and Tommy have stopped by the Wilsons, and Mrs. Wilson has given each of them a cookie. As they walk away waving happily, Dennis explains to Tommy, Mrs. Wilson gives you a cookie because she's nice, not because you're nice. (laughs) While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We can be forgiven not because we're good, but because Jesus is good. The wonderful theologian, church planter, and friend of our movement, Tim Keller, put it this way. Here's the gospel. You're more sinful than you ever dared believe. You're more loved than you ever dared hope. We share Jesus not from a place of smugness or superiority, but from a place of profound humility. We are broken people touched by the undeserved grace of God. We share Jesus not because we are good, but because Jesus is. And his love compels us. Number six. We share Jesus with others because God is depending on us. Second Corinthians chapter five, beginning at verse 19. Christ, excuse me, God is entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. God has no plan B for spreading the good news. You and I are it. We think surely God isn't depending on me to tell my neighbor, my coworker, my friend. Ah, but he is. Number seven, we should share Jesus with others because it's impossible to be quiet. Acts chapter four, verse 20 Commanded not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus, Peter and John replied, 
for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. There was a Mercedes-Benz commercial a few years back that showed their car colliding with a concrete wall during a safety test. Someone asks the company's spokesman why they don't enforce the Mercedes-Benz patent on their energy-absorbing car body, um, a principle which apparently was being imitated and copied by other car manufacturers. And the Mercedes-Benz spokesman says, very matter-of-factly, because some things in life are too important not to share. Exactly. Number eight, we should share Jesus with others because it helps us grow in our knowledge of Christ. Philemon, verse six, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Failing to tell others will stunt your spiritual growth. You will not come to full maturity and the knowledge of Christ if you are not actively sharing Jesus with those you know. And last, we should share Jesus with others because so much is at stake. Acts Chapter 26, beginning at verse 17. Jesus said, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. A Boy Scout was hiking in the woods and wandered off the trail After a while, the Boy Scout stopped, raised his hand, and said, I am trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, reverent, and lost. (laughs) I know lots of people who are all those things. They are hardworking and honorable and successful and lost. Albert Einstein, the great physicist, was once traveling from Princeton on a train when the conductor came down the aisle, punching the tickets of each passenger. When he came to Einstein, Einstein reached into his vest pocket, but but he couldn't find his ticket. So he reached in his other pockets. The ticket wasn't there. So he looked in his briefcase, but he still couldn't find it. Then he looked on the seat beside him. He couldn't find his ticket. The conductor said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. Einstein nodded appreciatively. The conductor continued down the aisle punching tickets. As he was ready to move into the next car, he glanced back, and there was the great scientist, now down on his hands and knees, looking under the seat for his ticket. The young conductor rushed back and said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, don't worry. I'm sure you bought a ticket. I know who you are. Einstein looked up and said, young man, I too know who I am. What I do not know is where I am going. (laughs) (laughs) We share Jesus with a world 
that does not know where it is going. We share Jesus because coming to know him means life for all eternity. It means you do know where you're going. By his death on the cross, Jesus has taken upon himself the sin of the world and he offers forgiveness to all who put their trust in him. He transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light and he gives us assurance of eternal life with him. We share Jesus because there is so much at stake. Now let me end with three practical things that you can do to share your faith in the interactions you have in daily life. Now I should say that I have a friend who always says he's so embarrassed to talk about Jesus he couldn't lead a silent prayer. And there was a very real sense in which that was, that was true of me even after I was ordained. I could preach the gospel from the pulpit but get me over the onion dip at a party and you'd never get a word out of me. But God has changed me. I've led people to Christ on airplanes. I've led people to Christ uh, at McDonald's. God has changed me. And I'm not particularly gifted as an evangelist. My point is that if God changed me, he can change you. You see, our past disobedience uh, is no defense against the call of God. Our past incompetence is no defense against the call of God. He calls us to share him with those we know, to share what we've experienced of his great love. So what do we do? Three simple steps. Number one, pray, pray. The apostle Paul said he shared Jesus with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convert I'm convinced that so many bad experiences of evangelism come from people trying to convert someone in the flesh, in their own power or personality or persuasiveness. But prayer releases the Holy Spirit's power through you and in the life of the other person. Carrie and his wife, Susan visited the church I served in Woodbridge because their young son pressed them to bring him to church. Carrie and Susan were convinced skeptics, quite disdainful of people of faith. They came that day, they sat in the last row of the balcony because, as they say, there were no pews in the parking lot. (laughs) They got as far away as they could. After the service, another couple invited them to, to stay for coffee. They, so they stood around and they chatted about where they lived and what they did for a living. Carrie explained that he was the president of a small but growing software development company and they were in search of new office space. They had one particular building in mind, but while they thought it was perfect, It was owned by one of the largest corporations in America. And for six months, Kerry had been completely unsuccessful in getting in touch with the property development office of this huge corporation. Well, the other 
church member listening to this said to Carrie, uh, I'll pray about that for you. Carrie said later, I thought the guy was nuts. He was obviously some kind of religious fanatic. Prayer, he said, is something that preachers do in church. It's not something ordinary guys throw around in regular conversations about business. But the next morning, the phone rang on Carrie's desk, and it was the corporation's national property management office calling him. And as he answered the phone, those words rang in his ears, I'll pray about that for you. Well, Carrie put it this way. He said, through that answered prayer, God revealed to me, still very much a non-believer, that God is alive and real and intimately involved in my life. He said, I hadn't been to church two Sundays in a row since I was 14, but I was eager to get back the next week to tell that guy the good news. And it wasn't long before Carrie and Susan gave their lives to Christ. Pray for those you know, those God puts on your heart. Pray for opportunities to share Jesus. Pray that you'll notice the opportunities that are really there all the time. And pray for the needs of those you meet. In my experience, even people who are resistant to the truth claims of Christ are open to being prayed for. So many are hungry, eager for an authentic encounter with God. And second, share. Share your experience of what Jesus has done in your life. You do not need to know the answer to every conceivable theological question that someone might have. Just start with your own experience. Now, just about every Christian I know says they'd be more likely to share what the Lord has done in their life if they knew the other person was really interested. Is that true for you? I suspect it is. We'd all be more likely to share if we knew if the other person really wanted to hear. Well, I have good news for you. You can ask them if they're interested. You can ask the person if they'd like to know what the Lord has done in your life, what your experience has been. As in, would you like to know how I've dealt with a situation like that? Or can I share with you how God has made a difference in my attitude at work? Or whatever it might be. If they say yes, you have permission. If they say no, you have not offended. You've actually demonstrated the opposite, that you've been very gracious and sensitive. Now, if you do share something of your own experience, you're likely to get one of three responses. First, you might get a story back, which usually means you're talking to a Christian. Um, and it may not be evangelism, but it's a wonderful and gracious thing to do. We all get it stuck in a, in a difficult place, and we, we're frustrated, and we, we're having a hard time dealing with something, and someone else comes and shares, you know, God has always been faithful to me and has dealt with me in this situation, and the response is, Yeah, I know. God's always gotten me through. I know he's going to get me through this. And by your witness, you've encouraged someone to to rise up and hold on to, to God in faith. But you might also get a seeker's response, which is often a question or an expression of wistfulness or longing, like, 
well, that sort of thing never happens to me, or I wish I had faith like that. And then really the door's wide open for you to share further and draw them out further. And it's possible you might get a defensive reaction. Who do you think you are to tell me what to believe? In which case, just back off and say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. I was just sharing my own experience. But then you can continue to pray for that person. Now some are like the woman I met in one of our churches who told me how she witnesses to her faith uh, while traveling for her work. She spent a lot of time in airplanes and airports traveling, and she said that she always liked to look for opportunities to serve people who might be having some difficulty. You know, a, a young mom struggling with a, a baby and, and luggage, or an older person sitting alone, or uh, an employee who's just been um, yelled at by a, uh, an irate customer. And she tries to help hoping that her service might show Jesus' love. I asked her what she says to those people that she helps, and she looked puzzled. And she said, I don't really say anything. I guess I just witness by my actions. And I said, I could tell that she was genuine in wanting to serve, and it's clear the Lord knows her heart. But I suggested to her that the people she encounters don't know why she was being helpful. The other person goes away just thinking she was a nice lady. There's a saying I hear from time to time that's variously attributed to uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta or St. Francis of Assisi. It's um, share the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Well, if you're a four-foot-something Albanian in a nun's habit on the streets of Calcutta, people might figure out that you're a little bit different. But in our culture, if you help someone, they just think you're nice. They certainly don't assume you're a Christian or serving because of your faith. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Without words about Jesus, the glory, the credit for our kindness goes to us, not to God. So I suggested to the woman that when she's helped someone and they say, thank you, perhaps she could reply, I just wanted to show Jesus' love in a practical way. Well, she liked that. Share your experience of Jesus Christ and use words. Pray, share, and third, invite. Invite the person to come with you to worship or perhaps your small group to explore a relationship with the person Jesus Christ. We're not trying to steal people who already have a church home. We're trying to reach those who need to know Christ. And like the apostle Philip said to his friend Nathaniel when he encountered Jesus and shared him with with his friend, he said, come and see. Come and see. You have a tremendous asset in this, in the faithful pastors you're 
blessed to have here at CCV. You don't have to do all the heavy lifting yourself. You don't need to lead someone to Christ in their cubicle at work before you invite them to come to worship with you. Invite people to come and experience this. Share how Jesus has touched and changed your life, particularly through this wonderful church family, because that's the community you're inviting them into. But at all times, don't prejudge who will be interested. Share your invitations widely. You're not going to use them up. Sometimes we think invitations come at the end of developing a long relationship with people. Invitations can come actually at the beginning of a relationship. It's the most natural thing in the world. Just as if you discovered a new restaurant last weekend and you just share it with someone, you can share the joy and excitement of your experience of God in this church family with those you talk with day in and day out in the coming week. Pray, share, and invite. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would continue your gracious work in and through this congregation. Fill each one here afresh with the Holy Spirit. That as they go out into their neighborhoods and schools and workplaces, they would with gentleness share the forgiveness and love of Jesus. Let his life, his joy, overflow from them to those they meet. Use them to bring many to know you and to find in you peace and healing and eternal life. And let all the glory go to Jesus, for it is in his name that we pray. Amen.
Christ my Savior is.